Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with uh, Joel Presby. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Just so the audience knows, this will probably air in the third or fourth week of May, but today's date is May 4th. So if anything that we talk about ends up already happening, which actually tends to happen, unfortunately, a lot on this show, because I'll predict something and then it'll happen before the the, the, the episode airs. But uh, today we're going to talk about first with some of the more recent events, and then we'll get into how, if this conflict were to expand, what that might look like. So one of the rumors that I've seen the last 24 hours, and I haven't seen it in like the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, or, um, you know, a a more respected, uh, which, you know, they also routinely produce things that turn out not to be true. But the current rumor, and I think I've seen this in an Australian news source, but like the um, the the recent artillery strike on staff officers in uh, Kharkiv, mm-hmm. which you know, there's a rumor that uh, that a general um, Gerasimov was was injured, but they can't confirm it. Right? Uh, I've seen people say that he wasn't injured, that but he was there, but he went there. back. Yeah. 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 So, uh, uh, you know, although it does it does suit Ukrainian propaganda to say that he he got hit in the uh, upper third of his right leg, which is basically his buttocks. Uh, uh, But it could be true. Who knows? Right. Um, And then there's also the the ghost of Kiev. The 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 Ukrainians have finally admitted that that was not not true. So in terms of rumors and i'm not i'm not trying to pick on the ukrainians or you know the russians are doing their you know more than their fair share of propaganda there was a rumor and i'm going to say a rumor because um there are many reasons that a it might not be true because it just could be a rumor um it could be used to to get more views on a particular article or it could also be a an intelligence operation where people, you know, our side or the Ukrainians are, are trying to make Putin paranoid. So they're reporting or they're encouraging reporters or leaking false stories that his life might be in jeopardy. So I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm just saying there are many possibilities that could invalidate what this rumor is. But according to the rumors, um, members of the Soloviki, which is the Russian military and defense intelligentsia, there are rumors that A, Putin has cancer, B, is getting ready to go into treating that cancer, and C, wouldn't that be a wonderful opportunity to orchestrate a coup? So the question is, A, how do you, how, you know, what, what's the likelihood of this being true? And then B, how would one even orchestrate such a thing when I you have heard, different factions in Russia? Right. I, I, I heard the rumor, or I saw the rumor on Drudge Report, and um, I now don't recall which um, which service was was providing it, um, but the the article that I read had that Putin allegedly has um, cancer and that he was going to have a surgical procedure for it. And during the time that he was under anesthesia, and a a particular friend, um, close ally of his, um, who is one of the people leading the FSB would be in charge while he was under anesthesia and that the plan was that Putin would be then within a day or two back in charge again. Um, so I suppose the the most, um, you know, if, if this was a story and you wanted to have it happen as fast as possible and move on to other more surprising twists, you just, if it is actually a surgery, you have him not survive the surgery. And then a coup has happened because he's not alive anymore. 
Um, but you know, if, if this is a story and, and you want it to be more interesting, well, he survives the surgery, but he's injured. Um, he's, he's got lingering effects from the anesthesia. Um, his, his mental capacity is now in doubt. You, you've planted seeds for people who are his allies and people who are not his allies, both to say, should, should this man remain in charge? There, there are a lot of bad ways it could go for, for Russia and in some ways that would be actually bad for us if whatever group or cabal was then running things, then perhaps we're not able to withdraw from Ukraine because they would then lose the, the mandate of their supporters to remain in power. So if you're Putin, like you're not dumb, you know this is a huge possibility. And you're going into the surgery. What do you do to minimize the possibility that this happens? I guess you're vetting your your surgeons intensely. Possibly your your surgeons' family members are are having visits to to other places pending your successful emergence from surgery. Um, Possibly you have you will really pick one key person as because I, I'm assuming that Putin in in his own mind considers himself a hero and considers um, Soviet Russia to be a, a country that should be one and should be growing. You you pick a successor and if if you don't make it out, you met, let it be known that your successor is in charge. Mm. Yeah, I would imagine they have a, nat a natural succession plan in place anyway, much like the U.S. does. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is, but... Well, but there's a difference between having a plan and having it known that the person on the plan has your, your blessing. Mm. It's almost as if it's better if Putin doesn't provide an overt blessing. For us, yes. Even for them, right? Because then it makes it easier for that person to arrange to to become in power faster. Exactly. I, yeah. If he he would need to really trust that person. Yeah, that's not it's not a country of <laughs> not likely on trust. Yeah. Um I would I would think you're your insinuation that with the doctors, he'd have like a sort of a hostage, like a pre-hostage, um, not crisis, but. Uh, and I'm, I'm assuming that he's a villain. I'm, I'm not buying that, that if you look at it from his side, he, he's a hero. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I'm, he is a, he is a, um, a practitioner of real politic. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think he's one of the only ones left in in the world, which um, has actually made it very easy for me to analyze what he's going to do, because as messed up as it is, it's grounded in rationality. So but it's not grounded in morality. Right. So if you're able to prosecute your own case in a way that is amoral. What actions would you take? It's very. It just becomes a very logical exercise. Yeah, um, for the gamers out there, this is this is strictly min-maxing on a geopolitical level. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it, you know, it's game theory. It's you know, if I do X and they do Y, um, if I do A, then they're going to do B, and then you maximize what you know the the outcomes are based on. It's like beautiful mind stuff, right? Yep, uh, you yep. know, Nash equilibria and all that fun stuff. So if I'm if I'm sitting there as Putin, I think, you know, I think what you said about the doctor, I didn't even think of that, but I think that's certainly one of the things he might do. And the same at the same respect, he, you know, he he I think he would also have instructions out to um at least, you know, his trusted 
I'm trying to think of the right word, but um, if, if you don't see me again in X hours, you are to execute the following people. Yeah, the following family members of so and so, right? Yeah. Speaking of of rumors, um, I've I've been seeing popping up here and there that um, there are there are Russians who have mysteriously died of suicide one after another mm-hmm. who are in in high positions and arguably could be pointed at and say, Ukraine didn't work well because of you, because of mistakes you made. Yeah, there's a lot of bank executives, you know, particularly people. So, so one of the, one of the folks who was uh, suicided in, (laughs) I I think it was either Portugal or Spain, it's probably Spain. It turned out that they were private bankers to oligarchs, Ah. which which means again, there's a number of number of ways that could have come on, but you know, again, like most people, I I think it's highly likely that you know, that individual was assassinated, um, and I think and there's several reasons for it. But one could be a that person may have been working with Western intelligence in order to help them uh, recover, or and discern yeah where where the you know where the money was right um it, where it could have been proactive on the side of the russian oligarchs to take out somebody before they could be leveraged by a foreign intelligence agency so there's a lot of um interesting theories that could proceed but i think the only theory that is not interesting and likely not true is that they um committed suicide actually did commit suicide yeah. So, so again, going back, if you're if you're if you're Putin, you would target. Uh, can I use this subtle subtle threat of look? I have people out there who are closely watching your family, mm-hmm. and if you choose to take action, I might not survive, but neither will they. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a horrible way of looking at the world, but when you're in that system, you have to think in a very different uh, way and be a lot more ruthless. So, uh, you know, I think these rumors are all fine and fine and good, but there's just so much complexity in order to pull this off. If you're a dissident in that government. Yeah. How are you going to talk? Like, how are you going to how are you going to collude with your fellow co-conspirators? Who are you going to talk to? How are you going to talk to them? Right, everything's monitored. You know, everybody, and it's a system where people will inform on each other. The instant if you, you know, the instant you talk to the wrong person, you're dead. Okay, so if he's actually going under the knife. Um, there are there are medicines that are going to be given to him. So to make this work, you have to have a very small group actually involved. You, you can you can go the suicide route where you you get somebody who is actually in the operating theater and um, you intentionally kill him, knowing that that you and whoever are known to be related to you will suffer for it. Um, you, you stay, or another version, you, you stay so much under the radar that you're confident that, you know, you're, you're actually a Ukrainian. None of the people being watched by, by Putin are watching you. Your family is already at risk back in Ukraine or, or is out as refugees somewhere else. Um, you do something that messes with the medicine supply. You, you switch out a, an important component for saline or, or something so that uh, just by, by regular chemistry, he dies. Um, if, if I had to write it, I, I would hit up my, my youngest brother who just got a degree as a nurse anesthetist. And I bet he could tell me all kinds of things that, that would be unethical and and that could be interesting stories. Yeah, there's one particular drug that is um 
they use to prevent organ rejection. Mm -hmm. If you amp that up, you can basically take somebody out without a trace. I forget what it's called. Um, and, and, you know, <laughs> right. But that, that involves, um, the, the, and the anesthetist or an anesthesiologist, um, putting in the, the wrong amount. Um, if you were just switching out so that they would think that they were putting in the correct amount, but are you actually giving them something else? There, there's things could be poisoned. And then the question is, how do you get that chain of custody so that yeah. you can figure out uh, how, to, how to get you it You have in. to figure out what kind of chain of custody is, is being used. I mean, if, if you're trying to protect it, the one thing to do would be just to, to pick at random out of a large lot so that it would be hard to have, have messed it up without also having injured a lot of other people first and that making it be obvious that this lot is, is. Yes. As long as you can, as long as you can avoid any, any sabotage or replacement between the lot and the hospital. Or, you know, maybe, maybe you don't care about collateral damage and you just bomb the hospital where you think he's going to be. Yeah, p p again, Putin's. But that, that that makes your characters not the heroes anymore. <laughs> yeah, if they're if they're desperate enough, though, they might they might yeah. not care. Yeah, and and that's that's where I think Putin made a critical mistake when he dismissed all those like 150 FSB officers. Like you create a lot of uh, enemies who have a reason to to come after you. So I don't know. I, I think he makes it. I think it's a nothing burger um, because that's problem number one. And problem number one is hard enough, right. which is taking him out. Problem number two is who's in charge after he's taken out. Yeah. And you could have the hardliners take over or just make things worse. Um, you'd have, you could have nobody take over in which case you have a loose nuke situation with 6,000 warheads. Yeah, that, that would be not good. I think everybody outside of Russia agrees that that would be not good. And then you'd also have, um, you know, potentially some restive populations in Georgia, for instance, Mm -hmm. in the North Caucasus, where you also have a situation of pending uh, anarchy and, and strife and civil war. So I don't know. I Which on one hand, from the outside, yeah, let's have a Russian civil war. Get them, but no, no. No, that would be very bad. <laughs> Uh, very bad because people need money to fund civil wars and what's the quickest source of money well i can sell nukes yeah so yeah there's there's a lot of um danger kind of uh but we'll see we'll we'll know you know we'll know by maybe by the victory actually the victory parade is in four days or is it the eighth or the ninth i'm not sure it's in four or five days, let's call it. So, and he really doesn't have much to report. It sounds like the Ukrainians have launched a limited counteroffensive around Kharkiv and have actually started taking back territory. In fact, there was an, a, there's, there's an American that I follow who's like fighting with the Ukrainians on Twitter. And uh, I think yesterday he stole a BMP. Russia. Well, it's just like, yeah, <laughs> look what I look what I found. So, uh, like, they're not, they're not, they're not doing really well. No, and they're not making a lot of progress.
So, all right. So leaving, leaving kind of the palace intrigue behind us. All right. I want to, I want to leverage a bit of your expertise, which is in uh, surface warfare, also nuclear surface warfare, but, but in this case, we're kind of the surface warfare piece. How the heck did the Russians allow the Moskva to be sunk? Well, um, we don't really know exactly. Um, it got hit by two missiles. The second one, probably also the fire spread sufficiently that it detonated um, some something that was in a magazine in the ship itself, and that's what sunk it. Um, and firefighting at sea is really difficult. Um, as soon as you have fires that are class delta that are that are melting the metal of the hull, the the only way the thing you have to do is to get the thing that is hot enough to melt malta metal off out of the ship. So you you need to seal off compartments so that you can allow or create a hole in your own ship to get it out. Um, if if what it's melting through is is going to hit a magazine before it's out of your ship, you're done. You have to abandon ship um, because you're, you're going to have a secondary explosion. <laughs> and and uh, surface ships, warships are are designed to go in harm's way and and bring munitions with them. They're they're not going to be empty of things that go boomy boomy. Um, people people who are war gamers who previously, I mean, military war gamers, not, not playing war gamers, previously had some rules of thumb about how many missiles it takes to, to destroy a, a ship and um, that this ship should have taken four or five and it took two. And on one hand, that's because they got lucky. But on the other hand, it, it would be hard for them not to get lucky because Warships, surface ships now um, are, are more easily sunk than surface ships in World War II when some of those rules of thumb were, were applied based on the data for World War II. Does that, that answer your question? You have follow-up questions? So when you say applied based on the data, are, are you saying that they just okay. have ignored the, <laughs> ignored the rules of thumb? In the design? Well, the, when you come up with rules of thumb, you use what information you have. Um, and the Air Force and the Army, as far as figuring out, as far as having warfare data to look at, you have a lot more recent wars mm -hmm. than the Navy does, the navies do. Um, so if, if you've got if you've got a master's degree in operations research or um, did an undergrad operations analysis, subspecialty code thing like I did, um, a lot of the information that you have, <coughs> excuse me, to try to figure out the, the math of what kills things in, in a try to come up with a broad, this is how things work, a lot of your information is old. And so you can take uh, data sets about ships that have been sunk historically and and how many shots it took, but it's over a hundred years old in some cases. And so we're we're just learning what we probably thought was so, which was that when ship design has changed significantly, the the amount of shots to take it out has also changed significantly. Now, in your opinion, is this if you had to ascribe the primary reason this ship sank, again, if I were to artificially constrain it to kind of three things and you were to assign kind of like rank them into, you know, out of a hundred percent, right. Or, or ascribe percentages out of a hundred percent. There's one, the like Ukrainians, like an effective missile targeting of a particular area of the Russian ship. So just call it effective uh, Ukrainian targeting with the two Neptune missiles. Mm -hmm. The second P 
piece would be lack of data and just the fact that the ship design wasn't adequately calibrated for this sort of a strike, i.e. just lack of data, to your point. And then the third is just, you know, what we've seen on the ground, which is absolute and utter incompetence and corruption on the Russian side. How would you, just based on the available information, ascribe those percentages? Okay, I'm gonna gonna start with the the middle one first, the the number three rule of thumb. Um, I, I I'd put a, a zero on that one because that that rule of thumb is is about to help you to figure out how many missiles you want to have when you're going against another fleet, so that so that you at least assuming everything hits, you at least have enough missiles to take everything out. Mm-hmm. Um, so though that that you need less than that is actually not a problem. Um, but so, okay, that they, that they were hit by the missiles in the first place. I give that 60% because mm-hmm. if you can, if you cannot get hit, then none of the, you don't need you know, the rest of the stuff. However, there, there have been ships that have been, that have been hit with worse that have survived. So the firefighting, the, the shipboard firefighting um, necessity, which is, I think, your, your number two and your number four, I, I'd give that, that another 40%. Um, if, if you had had a, a crack master chief on board, um, you might have been able to save that ship. Mm-hmm. Um, I, maybe, maybe a really good, ship's captain but having been in the navy i'd say there is probably not a ship's captain who could have shaped that ship you you need a you need a senior enlisted leader to have saved a ship once it's got that much battle damage um somebody who's going to be running around the deck who's not busy trying to call back to the admiral and say hey we got shot who's not busy trying to get a message out saying, I, I think the shot came from over there. Somebody who's focused on saving the ship and that is it. And, and determining, okay, we, we've, got, we've got our lifeboats over here. We've got these people, we've got those people who are injured and making the hard calls of, we're gonna ignore the people who, who are burnt from the fire to try to grab the chain from the anchor windlass and wrap it around the ship so that after we cut a hole through the middle and get these missiles off, the ship is still floating. Okay, so the Russians were not very good at that. Well, yeah, but they would have had to be incredible to pull that off. Mm-hmm. Well, but they also don't have an NCO core. Not incredible. They also don't have an like they don't have a like a strong NCO core. Right. So that's that goes back to the same problem they have on land, which is why. You're seeing all these generals die, not because the generals are incompetent, but because the generals are actually good, right? Like they, a good general will, if things aren't working at the front, they will go to the front and make sure things work well. And it's what, it's why uh, Rommel was so successful, is he kind of let his staff do the work in, in the background and he was at the front. Same thing with Patton, very, very similar. Now, you know, it's not ideally, you know, again, these are World War II generals, right? And mod- modern generals don't get anywhere near the front for the most part because they have the technology to, to view and observe what's, what's going on. However, if it wasn't working, I'm, you know, I'm every bit, I'm, I'm, I have every confidence that our own generals would do the same thing. They would go to the front and try to affect the situation. But the reason... In particular, the Russian Russian generals have to do that is they don't have a strong NCO corps to help prosecute a military action when their officers get shot in the head. Right. So, and they don't practice it. They don't. I, mean, I, I shouldn't say they don't practice. I don't know, right? But but by by looking at the outcomes of the way that they're fighting, they just don't take a lot don't tend to take a lot of initiative like they won't move and and this is actually having spoken to people who have been um friends of folks who've taken part in these exchange programs 
Like a Russian conscript will not move unless you tell him to move. Full stop. <laughs> they just won't. They won't do anything. Um, whereas, uh, you know, a sergeant will move in the absence of orders. Right, they will right. do what is necessary, like a U.S. You know, American sergeant. So there's a lot of interesting things that are that are coming out of this. All right. So, so the Moskva, um, you know, I think that's fairly interesting. What's this thing about dolphins? What's this all about? <laughs> well, again, news that that may or may not be accurate, um, and this appears to be. Uh, a Russian side propaganda, the claim that they've got um, some trained pods of dolphins who are out there on in in the Black Sea and are are anti-swimmer dolphins. So if some Ukrainian insurgents are are going to swim out to any ship that's that's moored at anchor somewhere and think that they're going to plant explosive charges and they'll never get there because the sea life itself will defend mother russia and as 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 an american navy person who i saw this i thought what what i i have heard heard the rumors about russian um aquatic animal training and i thought you had way better propaganda than that because I didn't think it was true, but I'd heard that the Russians claimed that they trained orca, which are way scarier than dolphins. It's hard to believe that dolphins would actually um, attack a swimmer. Um, the the U.S. Navy um, at one point trained dolphins to assist in mm. mine identification, um, which people have issues with because we love dolphins, and and if you're swimming near a mine, there's a chance that you'll get hurt. And we don't want dolphins to get hurt. But also we don't want our seals and, and our explosive ordnance disposal people to get hurt identifying and clearing mines either. So working hand in hand dolphins, it's it's difficult. But the, the US Navy has never, to my knowledge, trained orca. Okay, so where where did this news come from? Was it from like a f- official Russian sources? In other words, Here's my concern. Uh, again, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't have a very high esteem of of journalists. So I think, I think the probability that they just confused dolphins for orcas and vice versa. Oh, you think that the translation was just wrong? Yeah. I, again, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's the case, but I think, I think there's like a thirty percent chance. Like that's some, that's totally something that some idiot journalist yeah. would screw up happen. because they're. Yes, I mean, are orcas even in the Black Sea? Um, I thought orcas were pretty much anywhere they wanted to go. Hmm. Okay. Um, now, you you mentioned that you think it's a Russian, it's Russian propaganda. Why do you think that? Well, I I only saw the the one news article, and it had it had it had Russian script on the side. <laughs> Okay. Which on the other, and and it was very, and the the wording was very, and and they will defend the ships and and. Okay. Yeah. Very. Well, here here's here's another interesting point. If if that if the source is Russian propaganda, and a journalist didn't screw it up, right? Which a lot of you know the second one's a big if. Um, it sounds like a the credibility of it being dolphins is highly in doubt based on your assessment. So which leaves B, the the fact, you know, why would the Russians want to put something like that out? And the, no, I have a great, I have a great reason. Do? Um, okay. You know, given like the Russians were like masterful with propaganda when they were weaponizing it uh, you know, with uh, with Americans against Americans on social media, ah, but they've yes. been yeah. they've been absolutely terrible in the current conflict. So here's what I think. Again, if those two things are true, if it's, if they really said it's dolphins, and if it is really the source is really Russian, what they're trying to do is um, 
deter Ukrainian frogmen or women from attaching mines to their ships. But what the reason that propaganda fails is because it reveals that that's where they feel vulnerable. Yes. Uh, good point. Good point. Right. So if I were a Ukrainian, I'd be like, find me some swimmers <laughs> like as soon as possible, because these things are vulnerable. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's ways that you can deter if these dolphins are real. Um, I don't know. The other thing, too, is it was a specific location that they mentioned, yeah. which was Sevastopol, yeah. right? So they really well, don't want, like, they're really worried about Sevastopol being targeted. If if dolphins were real, then you would see people feeding them. Mm-hmm. If, if they were really trained. I mean, if, if you want dolphins to stick around somewhere and they're in the open ocean, you, you better be feeding them. Yeah, so for some reason, the, the Russians are really concerned. If for some reason, the, the Russians are really feel, feeling vulnerable about their port at uh, Sevastopol. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but they're really feeling vulnerable. So again, if I were the Ukrainians, I'd be uh, organizing some sort of a sabotage. I mean, they already have clearly have a sabotage unit, right? So you had attacks in Bryansk, uh, I think Rostov. Um, if it's not a Ukrainian sabotage unit, there's there's already a civil war underway in Russia because something's so someone well, there, is doing sabotage. There's four. There's four options. Number one, it's the Ukrainians. Number two, it's Putin doing what Putin does, right? In order to gin up the population, doing what he d- did in the first in the in the uh, second Chechen war, which is he blew up the apartment complex, FSB blew up an apartment complex in Moscow in order to justify leveling Grozny. Ah, uh, okay. I hadn't thought about that one. Uh, number, but the thing is, it's so extensive. It- and they're strategic targets. I mean, yeah. if, if you, wanna, you you do the apartment complex if you want to get public support. Like if it were, or if there was like one strategic target that didn't really, like, wasn't too, but there's been like four or five. Like it's been. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the first, the first two. The third would be what you're talking about is internal dissidents mm-hmm. are are doing it. I, I, I think that's a little bit doubtful. Actually, there's five possibilities um the the fourth is high is less likely now given that there's been so many of these things but one theory was in one of their propellant one of them was a propellant factory and one accidents do happen sometimes they're even convenient accidents yes accidents do happen particularly when the you know the output of that plant was kind of at at a low hum and now it's suddenly like ramp up, go, go, go. And the Russians don't really have a, a, a great safety culture. Yeah. They jerry rig everything, right? Yeah. And so that theory I thought was more credible when there were like, when there's in that propellant factory. Yeah. But I don't think now I think it's, it's deliberate acts of sabotage, which leaves number five, which I don't know if I should even say this, but. Um, you know, we have we have an organization or two organizations. One of them is SEAL Team Six, and the other is Delta Force. And uh, like this sort of operation is like, or and you could also say British SAS mm-hmm. uh, for British SAS and Delta Force in particular. Like this is right down the middle of the so kind I'm- of stuff that they do. Yeah, like Tier One Special Operating Forces, where you know. Uh, or CIA, right? CIA is possible where you can, and that kind of bleeds into the internal dissident mm-hmm. uh, thesis. But I, I think it's highly unlikely that we would send um, the Delta in there, just because if they get captured, it's it's really bad. Uh, you know, same thing with SAS uh, or SAS. But it's possible, right? I would say that's a remote. Um, and I, I also, I actually think it would be more likely that you would see them in um, inside Ukraine right now. Right. I think that's almost certain. 
Um, but again, I have no, I have no knowledge and I probably shouldn't even say this publicly, but that's the kind of mission they, because uh, the Ukrainians are exceptionally good at taking out Russian generals, mm-hmm. like just knowing where they are. Um, I mean, we, we are certainly providing them with um, signals intelligence on, on these things, which is why they're so successful. But even the execution is a little bit too on the nose. So I don't know. So, so that's, that's kind of where we are right now in this conflict. If this thing were to expand, what are, what are some of the nasty things that the Russians could do at sea to um, NATO? You're talking about cutting the cable? To, for people who are not already familiar, there are transatlantic cables, um, trans-Pacific cables um, that uh, are used to, to carry information that you would rather not broadcast and, and so that you want to have possibly a better secure than if, if you're doing it in the open airwaves and people who, who know more than I do about coding can, can argue back and forth on whether you can actually encrypt things just fine on airwaves and you don't actually need cables or, or whether, no, really, this is, this is a level of security that, that anything that is being broadcast cannot possibly have. Um, but regardless of what that situation is now, there, there do exist cables and they, they could, be, could be cut. You know, if, if you had trained Orca, you could use the trained orca to go cut a cable. Um, that makes me wonder if if I should suggest that to to David Weber if, if the multiverse series ever ever extends to. Well, can the, can the orca dive that deep? I mean, is the pressure? Uh, I don't know. Again, I, I am com- a complete neophyte when it comes to naval operations. But would the uh, is it too deep? Is the, is the pressure too too intense for them to? Again, it's the Atlantic, so it's not as deep as, as the Pacific. But I don't know. Um, I will have to, um, double check my, my Orca details again. I've, I've written a lot about Orca. And so from what I remember, but I would check if I were writing this in a novel that was going to be published, Orca can actually get as, as, as deep as a, as any submarine that, or other Mm. device that, that you might be using with a double hull to get that far. Um, and also uh, the cables, yeah, they're they're deep in the middle of the ocean, but um, they they do eventually come up. So <laughs> depending on what point you're you're gonna gonna attack things. And how well and, would I mean sometimes sometimes sharks chew on them, and then they've got to be pulled up and have you know segments replaced. And it's obviously this is just uh, some animal decide which is a shark decided to chew on it. And look, they left some teeth and. Oh wow! And it, it's not it's not severed, but you know there there's been some some damage. Why would a shark? Well, why would a shark chew on them? I don't know, and and this is just the the theory is that maybe it feels interesting, and and maybe if you can get it gnawed on enough, you get a little bit of a, a, a shock. Or maybe the Russians just poured barrels of blood on it. And... Maybe the Russians have trained sharks and it's, it's you know, classified. And that's why we've never heard about it. Wow. <laughs> and, and, and then how would one detect, detect these things? You know, I mean, is it possible for, uh, are the Russian subs quiet enough that they can pass undetected? Or is it, is it a, a set of probabilities? In other words, if they do all the right things, they can pass undetected, but unlikely uh, without, I mean, again, I don't want to go too much into stuff that you can't talk about, but. Well, every submarine makes some noise um, when, when you have machinery active. Um, the, the ocean has some noise itself in the background. Um, you can, you can invent devices that, that help um, baffle the noise that you make, um, you can you can have vessels that run on battery, which are extremely quiet. Um, you can 
you can put people in a pod that you just lower down and or or that you drop and that wouldn't in theory make any noise but but then what does does it actually do anything useful so those kind of uh, a pod sort of thing that could go down silently would be more like uh, a commercial vessel going down to to watch you know cetaceans and, and sharks and, and gather information about them but would be you know less detectable and if you were writing a, a story so in a fiction world and you need to fight your aliens you might end up using commercial vehicles to to go after the the aliens who have, have landed in the deep okay um any 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 so another thing that the russians can do and they mm -hmm. can certainly do this on land but i'd be interested in your perspective um what they can do at sea is sabotage so a, a, as an example Back in 2014, there was an FSB operation in Czech, in the Czech Republic, where they destroyed some arms caches that were going to the Ukrainians. Actually, killed two civilians um, as you know a byproduct of that attack. So, you know, it doesn't appear that the Russians they've actually been remarkably. Um, careful uh you know president putin's comments to the contrary like he's been completely reckless with his comments um you know in terms of actions against nato he's they've actually been relatively restrained like we haven't seen a massive cyber attack in the u.s as an example um at least that not that i know of yeah, me neither. Um, although friends that I know who work on that problem are disturbingly difficult to get a hold of nowadays. Um, but in fact, I invited one on this show. He's just like, I'm not, I can't, I can't talk about this right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but he just said, he's just like, I'm not talking about that stuff. Uh, but, you know, they've been remarkably restrained right now I, now against non-nato forces they, mm -hmm. they've been completely unhinged right so yeah in on may 1st or sec or sorry on march 1st or 2nd the russians flew i think four aircraft over gotland which is a swedish island mm -hmm. in the baltic sea and it was two uh sequoia 27 aircraft that were kind of escorting two Sukhoi 24, uh, I guess they're bombers, but those two bombers, one or two bombers were carrying a nuclear weapon and they crossed into Swedish airspace for about a minute. Sure? Yeah, it's in the Daily Mail article uh, dated. We're, we're, we're pretty sure. Okay. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't I seen. And I didn't, I, I hadn't seen it, it and I didn't realize it was is that, um, detailed that new source yeah well that, that that's the other thing where it gets uh again another reason why i'm not i'm not a big fan of the media what what i think happened without any evidence mm -hmm. is that the daily mail published it and um western intelligence agencies um you know called all the major newspapers and highly encouraged them not to repeat that story or echo that story because they didn't want people to be alarmed. Um, because I was pretty alarmed when I read that story. And in fact, like after I read that story, I'm like, we need to send troops to to Ukraine to stop this madman as soon as possible. Um, if if what you suggest happened with the news media actually happened, then then they were effective because. I saw an initial bit about it and then I watched and when I didn't see anything more, I thought, oh, it must never have happened. Yeah, I mean, the, so the, I details, the details, the details were, I mean, anybody can make up like a, a lot of details, but they were, it was a little too detailed to be. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like they were, they were in the airspace, they're kind of in and out. They're in there. They were over it for a minute and then an out. So it was clearly a, provoca a, a provocation, right? And 
I mentioned the island, right? It's in the Baltic Sea. Um, you know, it's not exactly over Sweden. Now, again, a traditional journalist would be like, you know, Russians fly, fly bombers over Sweden. And while while it's true, right, the, you know, Gotland is, you know, farther east and it's, you know, much closer to Russia. It's in the Baltic Sea. And at the time, the Swedes had sent troops there for the first time in 10 years or a decade, something like that, 10 to 15 years uh, to occupy that island just in case. And Putin sent him a little message. Um, but we would never do something that crazy. Uh, but yeah, I, I encourage you, and same with the audience, it's uh, the Daily Mail supported March 1st, or so, yeah, March 1st or 2nd. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, no, no, the, the report came out after that, but the, the incident was on March 1st or 2nd. Mm-hmm. So again, without evidence, I think the, you know, the media suppressed uh, or Western media was encouraged by intelligence agencies to suppress the information. Um, again, I have no, no one's given me any background. It just feels like something that is that newsworthy yeah. um, would have been repeated through various sources. So I didn't mean to ruin your day. You seem shocked. <laughs> so the, the point is that for non-NATO countries, Putin's been a little bit reckless in his actions. He hasn't been reckless in his actions, in his statements for for sure, but he hasn't been reckless in his actions yet. So, you know, we'll see if that that changes because he can. He's certainly been hinting that actually less than hinting. It's just, you know, economic, the economic sanctions are an act of war. You know, he's like saying crazy, crazy things like that. The way that I figure out what's going on is there's there's actually a guy on Twitter uh, or an account on Twitter called uh, Germany, Germany of the West. Uh-huh. And they put together, uh, I don't know if it's daily, but periodically a map of where all the Russian units are and Ukrainian units are. Now, it's not 100% accurate but that's probably 40 percent of how i figure out what's going on because i can look at the map and it becomes obvious where the like the next russian thrust thrusts will be based on just geography and um you know unit positioning right right so you know they're trying to encircle the uh severo donetsk salient um and they're not really succeeding in fact kharkiv so it's like i think izium is kind of that centralized location that they seize that's critical for their main supply route into ukraine uh and that's that's where the like that artillery strike happened where they killed at least one general and may have hit um you know gerasimov or not right he survived but he was either injured or not. Who knows? So, and then of course you have uh, Mariupol, and based on where they're sending their missiles, they're generally attacking two places. Right. The first is resupply routes for uh, in the west, like Lviv and things like that, to stop more weapons from coming in. And then the second place is Odessa. Right. So, I think that's where they're. Well, and then we'll see what happens with Transdenistra, because they still have about 1,500 troops that are sitting right there, and they might be activated if Russian forces get closer to Odessa. So we'll see. It'll be it'll be pretty interesting. Now, if I were NATO, um, there might be some sabotage near those bases. Uh, you know, I. Just supplying weapons, I don't think, is enough. I think we need to be a little bit more active. So, I think we all want Ukraine to stay a country, and we also don't want nukes to start being launched. But our our wishes are not are not enough. We probably need to do more than just pouring treasure and sending some blood. 
Yeah, and I think, I mean, the way you do it is you limit your objectives to Ukraine. Like Russia, we don't have a beef outside of Ukraine. But the other thing too, though, is if we, I mean, he's already extended it into Ukraine. So, you know, I don't know why we're so afraid of, um, you know, sending a little bit more robust, um, uh, you know, I think part of that is that we've had a party flip. Um, it used to be that, that the Republicans were, you know, support the troops and, and pretty much no matter what, and that the Democrats were anti-war pretty much no matter what. And now the Democrats are pro-war and the Republicans are, I don't know, maybe I... And I think it's split. The, the I, I, I think it's split. Who had affiliated each way are kind of like what? <laughs> I think it's actually. I think on the right, it's a it, it's split. So, the issue with the right, uh, well, uh, so 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 the Democrats, uh, you know, um, there's been so much anti-Russian propaganda related to the 2016 election, right? Um, that. Again, much of which, a lot of it was just complete fabrication. Um, that that like that party has been primed f- to be kind of this, you know, an anti an anti Russian uh, caucus. On the right, it's uh, there's still kind of the traditional, more traditional uh, conservative Republicans who uh, are kind of the John McCain types of the world, which is. You know, it's kind of the difference between George W. I mean, uh, uh, this is this is this is not going to be a clean analogy, but just bear with me. There's the whole quote, like when you know George W. Bush, when I looked into his eyes, you know, I saw a good human, and then and then John McCain was like, when, when I looked into his eyes, I saw KGB. Right. So <laughs> now you kind yeah. of have a division there, but it's it's a division for a different reason. So you have the traditional Republican approach, which is. Uh, you know, anti-Russia, pro, you know, kind of pro-war and supportive. And that's kind of the, um, um, oh, what's his name? Like the Lindsey Grahams of the world, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have a swath of the Republican Party or conservatives that have lost all faith and trust in the news media. So the instinct- includes people actually of both political affiliations. Oh, really? You think yes. people on the left don't, I mean, Fox News for sure they don't trust, but um, like myself, I don't trust any of them, right? I think they're all propaganda organ, organs in, in one way or another. But um, the thing is just because they lie about the important issues doesn't mean they lie all the time. <laughs> which is unfortunate because it would actually mean something if you could count on them always lying. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, but the problem is, is there's, you know, a large percentage of the Republican party believes they lie all the time. So they reflexively believe the opposite, right. Or not the opposite, but they, they, they distrust everything. And, yeah. and then, and then if, and then they also have this and, and the left, the left has this problem in spades, which is, you know, if Donald Trump is making sense, but it's Donald Trump, it's wrong, right? Um, it's the same thing. Like, look, this might make sense, but like, I can't be on the same side as Soros. Therefore, right. they're wrong, right? So it, it, you have a bit of this reflexive distrust of the media establishment. And I mean, Look, it's been well earned to be to be frank. Um, but I think that's you have to look at the evidence and you have to look at what's actually going on. And if you if you take your take the time to do that, it's pretty clear that the Russians are behaving badly here. And um, you know, are, are are the Ukrainians as amazing in in battle and and as truthful as you know as as the mainstream media is is treating them? For instance, have you ever seen a battle damage assessment? In the news media about Ukrainian forces, like yeah, yeah. where their forces are arrayed, um, what what damage they've taken, hardly I, ever. I don't think anybody in, of American politicians is claiming that 
that Russians are the good guys. Um, there are merely there are some who are saying we shouldn't. The United States should not be involved. I think that's the most pro-Russia version that I've seen. Have you been to Twitter? Twitter is not <laughs> real life. <laughs> yeah, there's. I mean, there there are. I, I should say politicians, but there are, there are commentators right. who literally have Russian flags in their Twitter profiles. And they're like, I can think of one in particular who's a radio station host. Now he's, he's employed by a, you know, a Russian media organization. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but there are people who are on there who are with them. Uh, that said, they're also, they're also employees you know from the internet. Those people are, are Russian trolls. <laughs> um, Many of them. In fact, I yeah. exposed one of them once. It was it was pretty funny um, because this. I already I already told this story on the on the episode where I uh, interviewed Larry Korea and and Steve Diamond. But just in a in a nutshell, I just you know was randomly going back and forth with one, and then just as an aside, just saying, oh, as an aside, um, what's it like working for Yevgeny Prigozhin? <laughs> Locked. <laughs> I think it was one of those times when like, I just, there's certain ways you can say something that convey that, that convey that you have more knowledge than, than you really do. <laughs> and the response was uh, fascinating. So anyway, uh, we're, all right. So, uh, you know, this could go on forever. So let me try to wrap it up. Where, where do you think this thing goes over the next several months? The, the whole, the whole conflict. Gosh, I I am bad at predictions. Um, I back several years ago, professionally, I I had to make a prediction about what the next war was going to be, and I thought it was going to be China. And I I did not see this coming. I I now know, having read things that that others have said, that there are there are people who predicted this that that Russia was going to invade Ukraine and that they would do it in this time frame. None of them predicted that that Ukrainians would be able to fight back. Um, so I, I guess even though my crystal ball was wrong, there are other people who are wrong too. <laughs> well, I mean, but how early did they predict it though? Like a month before or longer than that? Because, uh, because a, a month before that, prior. that's easy. What's uh, that? A, a few years prior. All right, that's those people are good, <laughs> or, or they're lucky. I, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, there with the stock market, there are always models that you know have predicted eighty-three of the last two recessions. You know. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm calling it here. The next, the next big conflict is going to be in um, in Africa, and what's going to precipitate it is. Uh, yes. And that's, that's coming in the fall. Like it'll, the seeds for that will be, is kind of the inverse will be planted in yeah. the fall because what you'll see is there'll be some stronger African nation that will, uh, you know, either send soldiers in to confiscate grain and, you know, there, there will be, there will be issues now, which, which countries I don't know because I haven't done the work, but if I were to do the work, I would just look at um, grain shipments, uh, like the, the Ukraine's biggest trading partners in that particular area of the world, and those that are most leveraged to them that are run by dictators, right? Because the U.S. might be able to do some damage mitigation mm -hmm. by shipping in grain and things like that um, to shore up our allies in the region, I think, I think you're going to have to worry about these. Now, China might do the same thing for the dictators, right. but that's where I think you'll see, kind of, it, it'll, it won't likely be like a big power sort of dynamic. It'll be more of a uh, kind of a John Jaweed kind of militia sort of thing you saw in, in Sudan. Right. Um, and uh, I believe East Africa is on their fourth year of drought. Oh, so yeah. the ability to to produce their own food is, I mean, 
if that drought would break soon, that would certainly help the prospects for the continent. And w- which countries in particular? You think that like Kenya, probably not Kenya because they're aligned with the um, the Brits will probably help shore that up. Same thing with Egypt, but we're talking like Djibouti, maybe Sudan, um, Ethiopia, maybe. Ethiopia and Eritrea. Uh, that's probably that's probably where the next. That's probably where it's going to be. Um, anyway, but again, I just came up with this and based on what you told me and you know the interaction, probably five minutes. So take a stab at it. I pray to be wrong about that because that'd be a lot of people hurting. Yeah, but again, you take an amoral view and you just look at real politic and you just look at where the resources are flowing. That's that's kind of where it may lead. So, on that uh, sobering note, <laughs> um, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, you know, I think everybody should buy your your next book, which will be it'll be in the links below. Um, where you can click on it and, and find it. And it it comes out in November, right? Yes, November um, from Bain Books. You can you can get the trade paperback. You can pre-order that now. And uh, the ebook is not yet available for pre-order. If you do the web subscriptions with Bain Books, I believe the first half is available for you to start reading now. And then uh, about three months before, you'll get the third quarter. And then uh, I think November 1st is when you get the last. Yeah, just pre-order now so you don't forget. Like yeah. it just, you know, and just and if you pre-order it, you're you're guaranteed to get it. You'll get a hard copy. You don't want this like digital stuff. Yeah. And then it helps you with the with the ranking and how the book does with BookScan. Because BookScan yeah. doesn't yes. they don't track ebooks. So anyway, support authors by the you know, by the physical version, uh pre-order so you don't forget. And you can pre-order in the links. All right. Well, thank you very much. And hopefully we might have, you know, if if you're uh, available, we can also probably have you back in November so that you can, you know, we can push um, and you can plug and your I can book. tell people what the word Dabere actually means. That's right. All right. <laughs> thank All you. Right. Bye. If you enjoyed this video, hit like and subscribe and I'll see you next time.